You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where picking obscure songs that somehow link into the show are my specialty. Pull your window down, tinted glasses hiding your eyes. It's your favorite disguise. You don't make a sound while you're taking Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Show. My name is Sean Engel, and I'm here to cover the comics that deal with Green Lantern, specifically the Green Lanterns Kyle Rayner and Hal, not Hal Jordan, screw him, Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. And uh, this time out, we're taking a little side path. Instead of covering the regular Green Lantern books, we're going to be covering a couple of books from the Legends of the DC Universe line. These are books that deal with, well, the legends of the DC Universe, including Green Lantern's Kyle Rayner, or Green Lantern Kyle Rayner. I should script these out. This uh, Today we're going to be covering issue 37 and 38 of Legend of the DC Universe, which deals with Kyle dealing with a character called Traitor. Not the most original name, but he, ha- he does pose quite a threat to Kyle. And the reason I'm covering these issues is because they were suggested by a very good friend of mine. You may know him from such shows as Back to the Bends, Walking Dead Wednesday, Avengers Spotlight, and the brand new Anime Freaks over at 2TrueFreaks.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to have on the show for the first time, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hey, Bill. Howdy. Uh, my ring not working. It's <laughs> in space. Yeah, you shouldn't have let uh, some Zardoz-looking guy crush it. <laughs> Zardoz? That's... <laughs> Look at that cover, Elmer. It does not look like Zardoz. All he needs is the little things going up around his shoulders from the uh, from his banana hammock. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. No. Yeah, let that. The less we say about that, probably the better. But yeah, you actually suggested these uh, to cover when I when I basically asked you to come on, and I'm I'm actually kind of glad that we're doing it because I had no idea about these comics actually even existing or even tying in to Green Lantern at all. Yeah. Uh, we had talked a little before um, the show that I had just kind of stumbled across these and went, "Hey, this is this falls right into the time period that that you're doing," and um, said, "Hey, let let's do these," and here we are. Exactly. So we're going to go ahead and cover these right after we take this podcast promo break. So go ahead and listen to these promos, and when we get back, we will start our coverage of Legends of the DC Universe number thirty-seven. Hey Paul, what's up? Ah, not much. What's going on? I'm I'm just a little confused lately. I yeah, what else is new? Well, you know, m- more than usual. I try to go to get the shows that we just put up, and I was having problems finding them. Well, we having trouble finding. Well, I couldn't find Back to the Bins. I couldn't find Avengers Spotlight. Of course, you can only find those when I actually edit them. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> oh, you took words right out of mouth. They're on the feed, Bill. Yeah, I know. That's where I went. I went to the feed, but they weren't there. Yeah, no, you got to go to the feed. You got to go to the back to the bins feed. The back to the bins feed. What's yeah, that? Back to the bins feed. You got to go to iTunes. You look for look up back to the bins, and you subscribe to the back to the bins feed. But I went to Two True Freaks. Yeah, we're on that feed too. What? Where? On the feed. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're saying that we're on? 
All right. So if I wanted to go find the shows that we've done, I'm going to go on to iTunes and I'm going to click on Back to the Bins and I'll find Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight in the feed. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Bill, you go to the feed. You subscribe to the show. You subscribe to whichever show you want. And then you get it. It's that simple. You just got to go to the feed. What show do I want? Back to the Bins. Where? An Avengers Spotlight. Oh, I'm so confused. They're on iTunes. They're on what? 2TrueFreaks.com. You want them, uh, you get them. They're you all got there them? For you. All the oh. shows are there. They're still all available, Bill. All right, on the so... Feed. The feed. If you say feed one more time, I'm going to break your arm. Oh. Scott, could you tell him... Hey, man, don't, don't drag me into this, because... Uh... It's no skin off my ass. I'm on all the feeds. <laughs> Bastard. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Gotcha, or maybe... Dragon Slay! How about... Tatsuo! Or... In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientist and engineer spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember... Our Star Blazers! Or this... The year is after Colony 195. As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero, and the Epion. Or maybe even this. After the desire for blood pools all, the only hope left is the one they call D. Or this. Gene, grappler ships dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise. Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos. Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew home was a pen. Humanity, cattle. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes under Two True Freaks Presents Anime Freaks. And we are back. So, let's go ahead. We're going to jump right in to Legend of the DC Universe number 37. This one was cover dated February 2001 and released on December 20th of 2000. It had a cover price of 250 US, 425 Canada. The title was Trader's Game, and the writer was Stephen Grant. The penciler was Scott Collins. The inker was Klaus Janssen. Letterer Bill Oakley, Colors and Separations were by Chris Chuckry, the editor was Mike Carlin, and the cover art was by Greg Staples. Flying over the Manhattan skyline, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner ponders the circumstances that have led up to this moment. Well, not this moment exactly, as this is a flashback to Kyle entering his apartment and finding his girlfriend, Jenny Lynn Hayden, frozen in place by a glowy blue alien. Ringing up some chains to contain the intruder, 
Cal demands she release Jenny from her stasis before they get down to business, whether it's fighting or talking. The alien, Stelra of Ramnos, unfreezes Jenny and decides to go the talking route, telling Kyle that she was the defender of her planet before Traitor arrived. Originally called Devlos Ongol, there's a name, Traitor is a now near-unstoppable killing machine who gets his kicks not on Route 66, but on wiping out entire planets, and Green Lantern Hal Jordan was one of the few heroes was able to take him down, eventually trapping him in orbit around Earth's sun. But when the whole final night thing happened and the sun briefly waked out, Traitor was able to escape and start his rampage anew, starting with Stelra's home planet. Dragging Kyle away for a quick confab, Jenny asks Kyle if he really trusts what Stelra is saying, and if he's going to help her out of concern or need to live up to Hal Jordan's legacy. Saying that it might be both, Kyle charges up his ring and prepares to head out, when he's popped away all Guy Gardner style from issue 116 of Green Lantern Volume 2. Stelra enters the room and tells Jenny that she couldn't risk Kyle refusing, then pops away herself. In an asteroid field some unnamed distance from Earth, Green Lantern confronts Stelra, telling her that he doesn't like being kidnapped. But after seeing that the asteroid field is actually the remains of Stelra's planet, Kyle is ready to help out. Which is good, because right then is the point when Traitor decides to attack. Traitor says he wants a rematch with the Haljor and not this puny lantern and Kyle lets him know of Hal's demise, but this puny lantern is more than ready to put a boot in his ass. Too bad that Stelra sucker blasts Kyle on the back, claiming that her DNA requires her to become a slave to anyone who bests her in combat. It's also too bad that Kyle wasn't paying close enough attention to his surroundings, as Traitor has managed to steal the Green Lantern ring off his finger and crush it into dust, effectively killing Kyle Rayner, the last Green Lantern. Okay, what do you think about this one, Bill? So I guess if I come across the defender of Ramanos and I beat them in a card game, they're my permanent slave. Hey, yeah, that's that's kind of that's going to be something I've got a little nitpick about. The entire idea that these this alien race has they're bred to be the perfect warrior, defend the planet, but if I beat them in combat, they're mine, mm-hmm. and that's yeah, it. That. <laughs> that that makes no sense. It's it's the whole idea of in general, it's the whole idea of nurture over nature, and you know whether or not you are predisposed to do something. Your genetic disposition requires you to do something, and I've never been a fan of that supposition that oh I I do this because it's in my genes, and you know I I I drink. You know, I drink excessively because it's genetically made up. Uh, you know, I can't stop gambling because it's genetically made up. It's it's this silly trope that it's a things, crutch, and I'm just as guilty of it on certain things. You well, know? yeah, I, I do that as well. We all are donuts um, or too much sugar or warm Mountain Dew. Uh, you know, hey, it's, hey, it's, hey, it's, easy. it's <laughs> you know, it's it, and that's one of the things I just. I don't like about this character, and we'll hopefully we'll see in the next book that there's a change about that. But the, that entire concept just doesn't 
scan right for me. I mean, and that's just a nitpick. O- overall, the story is kind of interesting, and we did discover that uh, that we actually came in on the tail end of pretty much. I guess we would say it's a six-part story from what we just looked mm-hmm. through uh, the back issues of Legends of the DC Universe, which was uh, as as we discovered as a forty-one issue series that was a an- anthology book, and that there was um, three different Green Lantern stories, and that we actually get flashbacks. And this is what bugs me about modern comics: they couldn't have put the information about the flashbacks about the other issues. When Trader, when uh, Stellara is re- relaying that Abin Sur fought Trader on Earth, and Abin Sur's predecessor Starcore, Starcar, yeah, also fought Trader. Because I'm, 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 I'm thinking, well, where and that it fought Hal Jordan. I'm like, well, where did that ever happen in the Green Lantern mythos? And it's only when we looked it up. Oh, it happened in this series. There couldn't have been a footnote. Something there was that one page in there where she kind of synopsizes what went on with uh Trader, but yeah, the, yeah, but there's no reference as to where to go. If well, if you'd like to read this, go mm-hmm. here. Yeah, that's one thing that I do miss from modern comics is the editor's footnotes. I loved editor's footnotes, and it it basically gave you a reason to expand your comic book reading because you'd get to page ten of this book and it'd say, "For more information about why you know Spider Man is fighting this person, go check out right. Spectacular Spider Man number XXX." Or it's um, it's free advertising in your own book, mm-hmm. and it's it's simple to do. And I, if you want to keep a cohesive continuity throughout your universe why don't you do this kind of stuff i know right now dc is wanting to have a unified feel to all of its books so i don't see why they're not doing this more often it it would it only makes sense to me Mm, yeah um i do want to mention something this is just a little fun fact that i picked up Stephen Grant, who's the writer for this, has done a lot of uh, writing work but one of the things i found uh checking out mike's amazing world of comics that you can check over at DC indexes. You definitely go just sit and putter around that website because it's a heck of a lot of fun. Stephen Grant was the writer on the Marvel Super Special about Pope John Paul II. I found that incredibly <laughs> interesting that he is the man behind the... Uh, he, he didn't have anything to do with the uh, Mother Teresa versus the Hulk, but he did do the Pope John Paul II one. So. <laughs> And and Scott Collins' art in, in throughout the book is pretty good. Uh, uh, Scott Collins has worked on a couple of Green Lantern issues, and uh, you know uh, the artwork is fine. Except, at some time, oh, uh, I was going to say except for the cover. But go ahead. At sometimes I got a, I don't know if it's because of the Klaus Jansen inks over Scott. Um, I, I got a, uh, and the most specific example is, well, I will go. I guess should yeah, we we'll save that for the page, page by page? Yeah, sure. I I see Walt Walt Simonson, and I'll point out where I see it. Okay. When 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 we where I really see it when we get to it. Okay. But yeah, we, since we're gonna start doing our page by page, we'll go ahead and start with the cover, which is this is the most disappointing thing about these books, these two books we're covering. These covers are just. <sighs> you don't like this cover? Uh, no, it's you know, like well because it's a painting is what it is. It it, it is a painting. It's just uh, all kinds of wonky. The oh, you mean like 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 the poses and the well, not not just the poses, but the 
the musculature of them. You know, it, I, I get, it looks like a Boris Vallejo painting. It does. It does have the design of a Boris Vallejo painting, but like a cheap knockoff of Boris Vallejo. Boris Vallejo's or uh, Frank Frazetta, you mm-hmm. know, his kind of stuff was very clean. This is very muddy. There's not, you know, I like True, I, I yeah. like I like my stuff to be kind of crisp with nice definition to this. This is all very. I don't want to say well, muddy is just the one thing that comes to mind, you know, and also the fact that, like I said, the character of Trader is on here with his little almost pseudo Zardoz look. You know, I do like the whole skin boots. skin stretched over the over like what looks to be armor or like a mechanical body underneath. That's kind of interesting, but it's it's also because yeah. he doesn't really. Let me look. Uh, I don't. Yeah, he doesn't really have that look in the book. Yeah, in the book, he looks like more like he's wearing a suit of armor, not that he's, mm-hmm. you know, this this makes him is armor. cyborg. <laughs> yes, he looks more, uh, yeah, like a Terminator or something like that with weird sort of. Well, gauntlets. one thing that really pops out on the cover, and I guess I should say two things that really pop out on the cover is uh, Stolara's accoutrements. <laughs> Because they're uh, not that big in the rest of the book. It's like, no, whoa, hello. And, is, is that what's keeping you aloft in space? Or I was going to say that they're quite floaty, aren't they? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, moving on. Page one, uh, you know, Kyle looks pretty good here. But what I'm really impressed with is is the backgrounds. A lot of times artists will just sort of skimp on the backgrounds here. And at least on this first page, this is a really nice detailed background of the city. Got a lot of different looks of the uh, windows and the buildings all lit up and everything. So I, I kind of like that. Well, you didn't realize that's the World Trade Center behind him, right? Is that? Yep. Yeah, that? Yeah, I guess that is. Yep. You've got the tower on the left with the big a- 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 antenna tower on the top. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, and this is in February of 2001. Yeah, I, I've been noticing that. And I'll mention it. I actually mentioned that in my last issue. I think my la- last issue was the. Uh, with effigy, yeah. Well, the the one that I released, the one that I released, not, the not, one that I released was, uh, yeah, was with Nero. But uh, the one that I actually recorded prior to this was uh, had a release date right before. I think it was September fifth of oh. two thousand and one, and there was an image at the end where I think Kyle and Jenny were sitting uh, atop of the World Trade Center, mm. and uh, yeah, I, I kind of mentioned how you know. A couple of issues from now, that's going to be well. Actually, the next issue that's going to be gone, and how how prevalent that's played in some of the uh, more recent issues. And one that I did a few weeks ago, um, it was the Nero storyline where there was an explosion at the base of the twin towers, and Superman had to go in there and sort of prop the thing up. So it, it, it's a trope that they use. And it's and it's effective trope because it's a, a an iconic part of New York skyline, but it does kind of it, it kind of leaves you with a bit of sadness knowing that that these things are not there and the sort of lives that were lost in it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's always it, it's it's one of those things when you look back on it, you watch movies like Oh Escape from New York and you see them landing on the World Trade Center and like Oh that's not there anymore. So, yeah, let's see. Page two, I was kind of, I don't mind it, but it does kind of date the book when Kyle enters the uh, apartment and asks Jenny if he, if she taped the Simpsons. It's just one of those things that 
if they yeah. keep the book a bit timeless, that would work. But, you know, well, yeah, but I, the Simpsons has been around for what, well, yeah, 20 years. The Simpsons has been around for what, <laughs> 25 years, I think. Yeah. 90. So really. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that I guess. Yeah, he, could but use he did it say tape. He didn't say DVR. Yeah, that's true. So, but that's just a holdover from our generation, and we'll, we'll be gone in generations to come. Yeah. Um, page three, we get an introduction to Stella, and yes, wait, 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 wait. Go ahead, you go ahead. You don't like the frozen Jenny in the bathrobe? Uh, yeah. That's how I'd like to have a green-skinned woman. All right, just don't say anything. Just stand there yes. <laughs> with a coffee cup in your hand and a book and nothing else. No. Sexist Dr. Bill, sorry. That's okay. Uh, well, and then, you know, Stolra here, there's nothing to be... I mean, she's basically wearing a blue... I didn't realize at first it's... Because I was... The first time I read this, I was going through real quick, and I hadn't pay, paid that much attention to the accoutrements on the cover. Mm-hmm. So I kind of glossed over that Stolra was a woman. Yeah, because... And I'm like, wait a minute, whoa. Let me back up and look here again. Oh, okay, yeah. Because her form on the cover leads you to believe that she's much more top heavy than we've seen here. She's more svelte here. Yes, she's you. She's like uh, Kira Knightley. Yeah, she, she's not. She's not. Uh, she's not amply chested. Um, she does have some very funky '90s boots. Those sort of half boots that have those, the. Those are like the Jetson boots or something. I kind of. Her look is very familiar. I. She looks okay. If you take her, if you correlate her somewhat design and change her sex and put her in Marvel comics, she's uh, kind of like Dormammu with the head of flame. That that may be where I'm thinking of. And change the color, because here it's it's blue, um, and over there it's it's uh, red. That that may be why I kind of. You know, it, it, it sort of popped up that I've seen this character design before, and that would make sense. The the, the old Doctor Strange stuff with Tom because she looks she looks unique but sort of distinctive at the same time. Mm-hmm. Moving on to like pages five or page five. Oh wait, wait, wait a minute! Back on page four. So they're standing there talking to an alien, and they're having no problem going back and forth in English. But yet Kyle decides to use pig Latin suddenly, like well, it's gonna fool her. <laughs> Ex well, on the on the ILK, we have a isitor vey. Yes. Well you know pig Latin, you know, isn't isn't in, you know, the uh Universal, the universal translator. translator, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately that you know, the universal translator hadn't been able to uh to, to get can't that. Can't crack yet. that really tough code. Exactly. Thank goodness for that, because, you know, that's that's basically how we won the war over the Germans in World War II. It was pig Latin, our communiques between... Pig Latin talkers. <laughs> oh, with oh, that would be great. That would give Nicolas Cage a new movie to do. Because, <laughs> I, 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 I just pictured Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, as the pig Latin talker. <laughs> Have him in, like... The combat with his Boston accent, plus the accent will throw him off. They're like, "What is that? We do not understand the language." <laughs> oh, hero is gonna hate us. Um, I kind so page of page five. Uh, you were talking about page five. Yeah, I was kind of talking about page five. Um, Kyle's dialogue seems a bit off to me. He seems a bit more snarky. I think. Stephen Grant, that I know did some writing, I think, for the Spider-Man books, um, 
doesn't specifically doesn't specifically know how to write uh, Kyle Rayner. So I think he's uh, imposing the ideals of Peter Parker on Kyle, <laughs> which I noticed that, too. I thought, why is he being such a, a you know, this is what seems a little out of character. Yeah. Some... And I think it's an easy sort of parallel to make between the characters. I've often said that Kyle Rayner is essentially the Peter Parker of the DC universe. But I think if you write his character off a little bit and he does come off more like Peter Parker, it feels wrong in the story. It doesn't ruin it for me, but it just does feel a bit out of out of character. Uh, my next note's on page six, and it's that first panel there. If you look on the wall, you can kind of make out a uh, a painting that he's got in there. This oh, is a yeah. bit. This is a nice bit. Nice bit of continuity. Annual number, I want to say number six, which was the Pulp Heroes storyline, had Kyle going into an alternate universe where he traveled through a painting and had a sort of uh, uh, like Flash Gordon, uh, what is it, uh, John Carter of Mars storyline where he was basically a you know, barbarian king helping out this princess, you know, regain her, uh, regain her world. And it turned out what it was is the artist who painted this had some sort of magical power and created this world. And mm. <clears throat> this painting actually ended up on the wall at the end of that annual. And it's kind of nice here that we see, even if it's just in sort of generic terms, that this painting is still adorning Kyle's wall in this book. So I thought that was kind of cool. Has it appeared in other books that you remember? I, I've got a, Other I've got than one back. where it was placed there. I've got to go look because I know they've done Kyle's apartment for. I'm not certain if in the Judd Winnick run that that's been there, but Kyle's apartment changes, you know, depending upon who's right drawing it. You know, it can be <clears throat> it can be you know just a dinky little one bedroom flat, or it can be huge at times. So it, it it was nice. I enjoyed the fact that that piece of continuity between the books was actually there because that could have been easily a throwaway bit with that just appearing in the annual. So I thought that was kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, my next note's on page eight. Do you have anything until then? The name of the, of the trader Devos Ungol. Mm-hmm. Is that some type of anagram? <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to do it backwards. Like, yeah. No. Because you can sometimes, uh, you know, uh, we were talking about uh, when I, I recently did a tangent podcast where there was a character named Lena Thoral, which was obviously, you know, Thoral was actually an anagram for Luthor, and mm. that character was supposed to be uh, a relative of Lex Luthor. But um, yeah, I have no idea whether it's yeah. just a bunch of they just you know picked letters out of a Scrabble tin, or uh, <laughs> or this is actually supposed to be an anagram of some sort. But I, I unfortunately I don't know enough about the character and whether or not this was supposed to be someone we should have known. But I think simply because it's part of this Legends line. That it might have just been someone that they came up with whole cloth for this. So, wait a minute, legends L E G, legend would fit in there. Yeah. I'll work on that later. Okay, no problem. <laughs> um, so you're jumping to eight. Yeah, seven is just a big flashback uh, mm-hmm. with the three that talks about Storcar, Starcore. Yeah, and then Abinsur, uh, which is where, and then um, Hal, Hal Jordan, which is where the first part in the other issues of the series. 
take place or, you know, this is all this is that's where all, all that backstory is. And I think that was what, 28 and was it 20 and 21 and yeah. 28 and 29, I think, was was the other four issues. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah, it's it's nice to know that this is this isn't just a one off and that they actually incorporated you know, three different eras of Green Lanterns of, I guess, Sector 2814 to come in and mm-hmm. deal with this character. So it's, 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 well, kind and Abin Sur was Green Lantern for quite a long time mm-hmm. because he was back in the 1880s on Earth. So he was at least a Green Lantern for about a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, it, we don't exactly know what the lifespan of this Green Lantern will be, mm-hmm. but, you know, the fact True. that a lot of Green Lanterns don't make it a couple of issues, especially in, in the new <laughs> books. You know, the fact that Abin Sur was around for this period of time means that he was a pretty badass lantern. Um, have, have they ever discussed anything to where the ring actually does something to their lifespan or no? Um, I, I know during it? the uh, during the Gerard Jones run, there was I think it might have even been an issue 25 of the of the third volume. Guy Gardner, the, the one where Guy Gardner and Hal Jordan fought, Guy mentioned that he had been keeping his body physically fit or keeping his body younger with the ring. He was willing himself to be, you know, he oh. was basically willing himself to work out with the ring. So huh. he, he was more physically fit than Hal was. So there is that possibility that the ring can do something to prolong your life. If you, if you decide to use it that way, I mean, it's, it's a magic wishing ring. It can do whatever the story wants you to do. So it can, I, I, I want to not drink Mountain Dew anymore. <laughs> Keep me awake, please. <laughs> caffeinate, yes. caffeinate my blood. Um, page eight. I was going to mention. I do like that. There's a uh, you know, there's another callback in here to the final night storyline mm. where Hal essentially came back as Parallax and had to restart the sun. That's you know, it's kind of nice that we're seeing in this sort of offshoot book that I don't know how how tied to DC continuity this would be since it's an anthology tale. I'm thinking that they could probably do whatever they want, provided they don't just completely overlook what's going on in the current books. But it's nice that they're putting continuity from the regular books into this, you know, the final mm-hmm. thing specifically. Uh, after that, my next notes on page 10. Okay. Okay. Um, I can see Kyle being willing to do this without feeling the need to prove that he's trying to live up to the Hal Jordan's legacy. Um, other writers like Stephen Grant s- still seem to feel that Kyle isn't secure in his role as GL. And that's, that's another thing along with the dialogue that kind of, I don't think Grant got for this character. I think by this time in Kyle's run, he was pretty secure with being the character of Green Lantern. So he didn't feel that he needed to step up and try and fix anything that Hal Jordan might not have done because he felt inadequate uh, compared to how so that mm-hmm. that's another thing that just kind of felt out of place for me yeah uh after that my next note is page 12 anything till then mm, nope nope i'm good um on this on page 12 panels one and two we have jenny using her traditional jade type powers to try and grab stellarum but as this point goes in the book i think jenny was without her powers and i'm thinking she might even be in between her being Green Lantern because there was a point in time where Kyle left Earth for a while doing the new core stuff and left Jenny a ring. And then currently 
Jenny's got a Green Lantern ring as well. So the fact mm-hmm. that she's using her regular you know, oh, yeah. uh, I didn't, jade powers is kind of odd. I didn't catch that. It didn't click in my head about that. So, no. But then after that, my only notes about the uh, the whole Stelra being encoded with their DNA thing on page 17. Do you have anything until that? Um, that's just a nice shot on, what is it, 13? Yep. Where um, do you think they're in the middle of an asteroid field, but then she says, this is Ramnos, you know, and it's just energy crackling, rocks floating in space, and and Kyle is finally, uh, you know, he's kind of dumbstruck mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, the, the Collins does a good job. There's not necessarily Kirby crackle here, but it's got that sort of feel. It's it's a really nice page. There's a lot of detail put in there. The and, yeah, it's good here with the background of space with like the stars, but the but the following pages after that go a little crazy with the amount of stellar stars in the background. Yeah, it's it's just a little like they, way too much. They they took a black background and just sort of splotched white paint on it. it yeah, it, it's, it's pretty it's pretty dense star cluster. Like, you know from from what I know of, you know, science actually going out in the space, it's dark out there. You don't see a lot of starlight out there. But you know, this is this is comics. It's used for effect. So yeah. Um. So what was the next page that you? The were next at? page that I had a note on was seventeen. Do you have anything for that? Mm, no, no. Oh okay. well, we get the shot. Yeah, sixteen is where. Uh, Stellar blasts him yeah. in the back. Yeah, and, and that's it, that's the thing that kind of you know the whole DNA my point, The whole DNA thing. Yeah, that like I said, that doesn't scan me. The whole you know I must serve whoever best me in battle because it's in my DNA thing. You know, it's it's an excuse in my opinion. Hmm. DNA doesn't. Yeah, this is going to be. I guess this is where I'm going to get a bit controversial. I don't think DNA specifically denies you from doing certain things or DNA specifically requires you to do certain things. This to me seems kind of like a way for people to slough off the fact that they're doing things that either aren't healthy or aren't right you know, uh, my, my examples were like, oh, I, I drink so much. You know, I've got a problem with alcoholism. My father mm-hmm. was an alcoholic. Uh, obviously, you know, it's in my DNA, so there's nothing I can do about it. Well, it doesn't excuse that. And, I think maybe Grant was putting this in here I mean, because we're dealing with a character whose function, his powers function on willpower. So to have a character that apparently does not have that strength of willpower and maybe in the next issue we'll see what happens with that. That maybe that was the whole point of introducing that here. I mean, I'm not saying that's what they believe, but that's the way they're setting it up. And that you know, that you you think that this character does not have the will to act on her own. Well, that's an interesting point. I could see paralleling, you know, Kyle, who is a person who has to do all of his stuff on willpower and make choices that might mm-hmm. be might be different than what he would normally do just out and out compare that to a character who feels that she has no choice that is is kind of is kind of an interesting parallel between them so yeah that maybe that maybe that's uh, what they were going for with this character mm-hmm. but uh, after that I really don't have any notes I mean it ends with the you know yeah. Kyle's uh, getting his ring taken 
page 18 where um, Trader looks through where he's got the ring up to his eye and he's got one eye closed and he's looking through it. That to me looks like a Walt Simonson shot right there. Yeah, that kind of does. It, he's very Joker-like in this. <laughs> I mean, he's got more. Uh, his teeth are bigger than the rest of his face. His teeth are huge. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it. Like I said, the artwork by Collins throughout the story is nice. Uh, the, the covers are kind of wonky for me, but. It, it's it's a good story. I'm interested to see what's going on in the rest of it. Do you have anything else with this? Um, no, other than the look of shock when uh, the ring is crushed by Kyle and yeah, that, Kyle be thinking a little. Well, I mean, get, he'll he'll catch on next uh, beginning of next uh, issue why he's not instantly dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and see, that's that's also been the thing. Kyle's lost energy to his ring. And, you know, uh, I know they've they've mentioned the whole the ring protects you for an extended period of time, even when it's without power. So Mm. but, yeah, you know, the fact that he's still in his uniform and not, you know, explosively decompressing could could kind of lead you to believe that maybe there is still a connection to it, even though it's been turned into dust. But, yeah, I was trying to figure out what happened to his mask, but then I realized that Jenny had took it off. Mm-hmm. Right before he got his uh, power battery transported him away. And again, you know, the thing is, you take the mask and the uniform are supposed to be energy constructs themselves that just sort of form over his clothing or not clothing, depending on what he's wearing. So if mm-hmm. need be, he could just bring himself another mask. But it's one of those ways where he can pull, I guess, a Toby Maguire and run around without the mask on. So there you go. <laughs> But yeah, that I, I enjoyed this. There were some things that were a bit wonky, but overall, this was pretty good. Do you have anything mm-hmm. else on this? No, no, I'm good. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we will go ahead and plug a couple of promos in here. And when we get back after the promos, we'll take a look at issue number 38 of Legends of the DC Universe. What is it that makes a superhero? Superpowers like super strength? <laughs> Or bullets bouncing off your chest? Perhaps the ability to fly? Or can a regular person with the super heart and the brains to match become on the outside what he has been on the inside all along? Hi, this is Matthew Apps, and I'm the host of a monthly internet radio program covering the adventures of Steel, the only human member of the Superman family of characters to wear the air shield. It's called The Armoured Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast. On the show, as well as looking at his adventures, I also take a look at the ads and letters in Steel's book, briefly look at what's happening in the rest of the Super Family, and even take a closer look at people that are important to the character of Steel, from the people that worked on his book, to supporting characters, including heroes, villains, and even family members. Check it out every month at www.thefanofsteel.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. 
Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. Okay, we're back, and let's go ahead and move into Legends of the DC Universe number 38. This one had a cover date of March 2001 and a release date of January 17, 2001. A cover price of 250 US and 425 Canada, and a title of World Killer. Again, the writer was Stephen Grant, the penciler was Scott Collins again, and Klaus Jansen inked it. Letterer was Bill Oakley. Colors and separations were by Chris Chuckery. Ed- Klaus! Sorry, I had to say that. I missed that earlier. I, I just love saying Klaus when somebody says Klaus James. It's always good. All right, I'll shut Editor up. Editor was Mike Carlin. And again, the cover art was by Greg Staples. Looking at the crushed remains of his Green Lantern ring, Kyle Rayner laments his screwed-up life that led to this moment where he failed to stop the despot known as Traitor from destroying the universe. But his mopey inner monologue is broken up by the realization that he has his uniform on, and the fact that he hasn't explosively decompressed in the vacuum of space. So he places his hand over the remnants of his ring, and wills it back into existence. Cut to the planet Angara, where the floaty head of Traitor is describing how he plans on finishing the devastation that he started over a century ago, starting with blasting the capital city. But before the beam can hit the burrow, it is deflected by an emerald shield created by the last Green Lantern. Taunting Trader to lure him to an uninhabited system, Kyle flies off with Trader pulverizing planets behind him. Stella rejoins the attack as well, but Kyle tells her that she has a choice and doesn't have to be subservient to Trader. But self-help chats have to be put on the back burner as consequences, copyright Allen and Emily Middleton, 2014, all rights reserved, in the form of constructs of the lanterns who beat Trader go to town on him. However, even with all this pummeling, Trader's adaptive armor is keeping him from being beat, until Kyle decides to blast his armor with an EM pulse, knocking the no-good Nick out. Her life debt over, Stelra transfers her energy to Kyle to heal him, effectively dooming herself in the process. But Trader is not quite dead, so Kyle seals him in the core of the reconstructed planet of Ramnos so he can't terrorize anyone ever again until some other writer remembers the story and MacGuffins him back into existence. Crisis averted, Kyle heads back home after burying the body of Stora on her recreated home planet. And yeah, this Stelra, Stelra, I'm gonna bid somebody. I still, you know, you're gonna hate me. I still need to watch Apocalypse now. The horror. The horror. <laughs> We're crossing over to Walking Dead Wednesday. Now, I, I, I like this issue. It's not. It, it's not gonna be, you know, like oh, this is one of the top issues that I read during my Green Lantern run, but it was fun. It was, I think we mentioned it was a bunch of punchy, punchy run, run. 
Mm-hmm. But it's not bad punchy punchy run run. So I, I enjoyed it. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's it seems to move a lot quicker than the first one. Um, because it's mostly action. So there you go. Um, it's on, on back to the bins. We usually give it a grade. So I, I was just kind of, kind of looking at it thinking like, how, how would I grade the two issues? Uh, I mean the story it's, I want to say it's, it's an average story. So like for story, it would be see the art, yeah, the art does convey the story, it's a little wonky in some places, so it's it's probably going to get a C as well. And then the covers, which are completely different, but they're I, yeah, the covers a, a C as well. So I mean, it's an average book, but I mean, it's not a bad book. It does it it entertains you for a little bit. It has its moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, um, there's nothing egregious about it. There's nothing no. wrong with it, but it's nothing to to make people go, oh, you have to go out and read this. This is an integral part of the Green Lantern storyline. It's it, but it's a fun read. I would probably have to go a bit more negative on the covers. Uh, if if you want to go into the book, we'll go ahead and start with the covers. This sure. co- this cover makes the last one with you know splaying trader trying to do his Zardoz thing look you know look like you know a like an actual Boris Vallejo painting. Did they yeah. just chew bubble gum and sort of sculpt it into characters and put it on this thing? Is that's supposed to be Hal Jordan front and center? Yeah, we were ripping on this during the break, and it was it's. Uh, yeah, I couldn't figure out why the the pose that Hal Jordan is in is that it's like he's almost laying flat, but he would be tilted up at like, say, a 15 degree angle flying at you. But the way his chin is kind of melded into his Green Lantern symbol and the Green Lantern symbol that. OK, for everything else that is muted so dark, I don't know if those are lit up on purpose. It just looks like like a like a sticker you would have on your wall during all day and then you turn off the night you know you turn off the light at night and suddenly it's a glow in the dark day glow Mm -hmm. green lantern symbol to just right on you know it just sticks out it's just yeah and it looks like all the other whites are kind of muted in in it but that one just sticks out like a sore thumb and it kind of looks that way on abin sur's agreement yeah same thing yeah looks like that uh oh what's his name uh Abin Sur has no legs either. They end at the knees because he's he's basically been bit <laughs> sliced off. Um, oh, who's he's Bob from The Walking Dead, right? Oh, there's a reference. Spoilers. Uh, Greg Staples, uh, who did the art, it, it, I'm wondering if he just didn't put the symbols on there because they look, they don't look like they're painted in with the rest of them, and. Yeah, it kind of looks like they're stuck on after the artwork. So. Yeah, because there's no musculature. Like, everything else, he's got everything muscled. And there's, bam! Green Lantern symbol. Right on the chest. Even even the one on... It looks like they're attempting to do a little bit of it on Abin Sur's because they look like it's on his chest and it's, you see a bit of the pectoral muscle sort of building up. But, yeah, it's it's kind of out of place. And, you know, I thought, well, where's Kyle on this? On this yeah, movie? we almost missed him. I and, I didn't spot him until, like, the second or third time that I looked at the cover. And that's only from reading what happens in the book, that he used he used these three constructs to fool or to deal with Traitor to kind of sneak up on him and sucker punch him. And he was behind the constructs the whole time. So going back, there's this big white, uh, excuse me, this, this big green ball of energy back there. And that's where Kyle's kind of hiding out in it. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, you, it's it's one of those things you kind of have to really look at the cover to see what's going on. We're spending too much time on this. What I <laughs> really not all that good cover. Let's let's move further. Move along. Move along. Move along. Um, my first note is on page three, and it's just kind of a nitpick. Do you have anything before that? What would happen if he ingested the ring? Um, that powder. You mean like snorted it? Snorted it or ate it, you know, <laughs> then he would have it coursing through his whole, like he would be a living, he would become Ion, I guess. That's that's kind of where I was thinking. Maybe that's maybe that's how the whole Ion storyline goes. He freebases his ring. So. I'm not, it, I'm not <laughs> advocating, condoning or saying that I'm should be done. I was just looking at that little pile of green dust there on the first page and he looks so sad Luckily, he I just snorted dude you know it's like uh, a rolled up 100 nobody's around <laughs> he's gonna know it's just us man come on <laughs> sorry um <laughs> my my first notes on page three and this is another thing that just this is just kind of a nitpick i don't like it when kyder when writers call what kyle is wearing a costume it's a uniform the Green Lanterns, the Green Lanterns clothing is a uniform. It's much like what you'd wear in the military. Superman doesn't wear a costume. It's a uniform. Batman doesn't wear a costume. It's a uniform. Costumes are what people who are attempting to portray those people wear on like Halloween or to conventions or stuff. If you're the actual character, you're wearing a uniform. So it was just kind of a nitpick that they call it a costume on here. But mm-hmm. it's it's just me being nitpicky. They're not a little. Uh, they're not really consistent with when he has a green aura and when he doesn't have a green aura. Yeah, because if he's in space, could shouldn't he have a green aura on all the time? He should, and especially here, uh, because in the last issue when he got popped away from his apartment to this uh, to this planet of Ramnos that had been blown up, he said, "Oh, I'd better adjust the atmosphere really quick," and he pops up a green aura to make sure he doesn't start. And he. I'm looking at that right now, and he has that aura until Stellar, Stellar blasts him, and then he loses the green aura until the end of the book. Until um, in this book, when after he realizes the ring still works, and then he gets the aura back. Yeah, it is one of those things where, but I guess you have to get rid of the aura, or else you would the the reader would automatically know, well, well, dummy, you, you know. Yeah. Well, but it also, since you've already set up the fact that he's in an area where there's no atmosphere, where there's no oxygen, where there's nothing to keep him from becoming a a Kyle sickle. That, that, yes, a ring pop. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, sir. Very good. Uh, but yeah, the, it's just one of those things that you have to visually show that he's lost power. But the fact now that he's lost power means that he's going to be dying pretty quick. So yeah, it's uh, comics just, yeah, go with it, I guess. But I don't think this is there. There's been many a time where green lantern's been able to reconstruct his ring or get his ring back or use it in this way. So it wasn't really, that much of a threat i figured that it would happen but uh, mm-hmm. uh my next note's on page five. Oh, page four yes he kind of t- i just i just caught this now 
you made a big mistake, trader, and I'm going to shove it down your throat, which is going to be when we get l- later in the book. We'll see where that comes into play. Oh, yes. A bit of a bit of seeding through that with uh, what Kyle has to do later on in the book. So, yeah, that's very mm-hmm. clever there. Good catch. Um, now, I, I was reading a bit when we were doing our little limited research about uh, Abansur and the previous stories about this. Supposedly, Ungara the planet that uh, Trader is taking down, was the home world of Abensur. Now, I don't yeah. know if specifically that's continuity because I, I'm not really certain if it's ever been mentioned. It's probably been mentioned before where Abin's home world was, but I, I unfortunately don't know whether it is. But it, supposedly this world's supposed to be Abensur's home planet, and the characters living on this planet look a bit like Abensur's alien self. Mm-hmm. They're not the sort of purpley pink that Abin is, but they have the right. bald head look to them. Yeah, they do have they do have the sort of uh, But yeah, but if and you can have if they wanted to be different colors, it's fine, but shouldn't you have somebody that's at least the same color as Abensur unless there's some specific reason why he was the maybe, pinkish color. Maybe he's just from a different continent on this planet. You know, there's oh, yeah, that could be. Yeah, you know, maybe the uh, the the analog to like melanin in these alien skin causes their skin to change to a different color when dealing with too much radiation. That's that's kind of the reason why we have you know different colors of skin type here on on Earth. It's due to the amount of Maybe whatever in her skin. Maybe it's like the color wheel. Like when you mix the green from um, the Green Lantern ring, it turns them pink. Like oh, you know, that could bl- be it. Blue and yellow make green. So. <laughs> I don't know if that actually works, but sure, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, I couldn't figure out how um, Trader was talking to them with the big floaty head, but then you look down. Um, I guess. Stellara's powers is she can also be a uh, uh, a PA system. Yeah, pretty for floaty much. heads. <laughs> yeah, she she can. She, uh, uh, that's interesting. That panel, she's holding one hand up as sort of a camera that a <laughs> trader can talk into, and then using her other hand to sort of. You know, you know she's got it in in a, a a circle, and she's got. Oh, well, you know what? She's got. There's a little bubble of energy around his head, too, in the small picture. Oh yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, so and that's. Then, that's that's how she's transmitted. She's basically enveloping his head in energy and then beaming it down to the. To the oh, planet. she could do that, but she couldn't say, "Oh, I don't know." Cut his head off. <laughs> no, no, because her DNA won't let her. You, uh, you don't you understand? DNA dictates everything that you do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> page six. This is perhaps one of the crappiest taunts ever. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle. I'm not as dumb as I look, fish face. In oh, what way, way does he dumber. look like a fish? That's what I, <laughs> I I thought that too. Like what? And you're way dumber. Yeah. <laughs> this was just. Uh, I'm sorry, Alan. It's not Alan Grant. Stephen Grant. I know you've written better than this. This is just. Uh, were you just up against a deadline? I was like, uh, fish face. Sure, yeah, that's that works. Write it down. Take take that phrase. Put it in the Superman 2 movie as Christopher Reeve stands outside the window of the Daily Planet and talks to Zod. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it it does not work here. It's sad. Um, The next page, page 7, I will give credit to Kyle. At least he tries to get the world-destroying despot away from the innocents on Angora. 
if mm-hmm. only all superheroes would lure world-destroying villains away from populated areas. I mean, that would save a lot of lives and property. <coughs> Metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And we I, have another. Uh, we have another dated reference. Mm-hmm. With lay the when I lay the smackdown on your pencil neck butt. <laughs> Note to self: Stop watching pro wrestling. It's a bad influence. Yeah, well, but I guess this was the time that SmackDown was sort of, you know, I'm. Uh, this had to be a time around, uh, not Savage, what's his name, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold, and uh, I think The Rock was still doing Stone. a lot of wrestling. So, yeah, this is, but the thing is, that's kind of out of character for Kyle. I don't really see Kyle as a big wrestling fan, but uh, whatever, comics, you know, you can write whatever you want for the character. I almost went to a Stone Cold thing. I was going to go, what? <laughs> what? Eh-eh. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. Um, um, I'm sure in my wrestling days, maybe I I guess it's a good thing I stopped watching wrestling. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, my next note's not until page 10. Do you have anything before that? No. No. Uh, let's see. Um, as we see, <laughs> is, is this, uh, he, he's basically got adaptive armor. You know, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, because previously Kyle, you know, like blew him up with all these missiles. And then he's like, you know, got the like he's in a mental. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm I'm jumping back to page nine after the big giant green explosion. He looks like he's in a Mentos commercial. (laughs) All right. Take that, you Eric, son of a. And then it's like, dude, he's frozen. It's Mentos, (laughs) the fresh maker. (laughs) Yeah, he he could pop a menthos in his mouth there. That'd be perfect. <laughs> I, if I could if I could get Honeywell to Photoshop him holding one of those little sticks of menthos, you know that he actually <laughs> looks like he's ready to pop one out of the. And you know he's gonna give one to to Stolara, and she's gonna think on her own. Mentos, the fresh maker. Do 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 wah. But then, the, like I said, on the next page we got him in the yo know, what the. Oh, what's his name from Iron Man? Armor. Uh, it's just uh, the one who, the one, who, the the one he fought in the first movie. Stain. Stain. Yeah. Ironmonger. Uh, yeah. Just the guy Stain. Just ridiculous looking armor. I mean, it's not. Uh, and I say, Kyle Rayner put this ring back together on an asteroid with nothing. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's. After this, it just becomes a bunch of punchy, punchy run, run. Uh, you know, aside from the whole, you know, oh, my DNA won't allow me to fight against uh, him until, until it does, until she's able to. So, so any attack. So basically, the way Trader works is any attack you hit him with, he adapts to it and becomes stronger, except to sunlight, mm-hmm. because that was the way that Hal Jordan had defeated him before or, or and by placing him in orbit around the sun because it's poisonous to him yeah so it's yeah i don't get it you know the, throughout the throughout the rest of the book the artwork is good i'm looking at the uh where is it page 13 now the different uh green lanterns there uh, that's that's a yeah, nice image that, how yeah. looks good mm-hmm they all look good. Yeah, that's 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 not bad. Although the number of fingers on Starcore's hand differs from what's on the cover. Mm-hmm. And his uh, and his <laughs> hands, his hands distinctively looked at. You know, one of his hands has like a heck of a lot longer fingers. Like his left hand is a bit, you know, his fingers look a bit distended. But uh, I, I do like that there is the uh, boxing glove. Hal uses that on this page to to not mm. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> Hal Jordan said, knock you out. That's nice. Um, <laughs> Wait, does uh, it actually say that? No, it doesn't. I was oh, okay. <laughs> I was going like, to say that because, you know, LL Cool J would tell I'm going to knock you out. Abin Sora looks more like LL Cool J there. <laughs> he kind of does. Maybe that. Maybe we could get LL Cool J to pay Abin Sora in the uh, 2020 uh, Green Lantern. There we go. Uh, couldn't be worse than Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you'll, you'll hear me talk about that later. Um, I really don't have any notes until, uh, specifically until page 17, where we get, uh, the aftermath of Kyle Rayner in that middle panel. I mean, oh, (laughs) he he looks like he got beat shit out of him. (laughs) It's, it's pretty bad, but I mean, he's just, he's lost a lot of his hair, his he doesn't even look – he barely looks human. He's just one big, massive, swelling contusion. Mm-hmm. Just – and his clothes are burnt off. I mean he's really had his ass kicked. But 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 the solution basically of him you know, putting a little EM pulse into uh, – and you can tell throughout the art that uh, Trader's armor is adapting because he gets this weird headgear that – Yeah, he gets bigger. He gets more powerful, mm-hmm. you know. Just just keep overwhelming him until he's just one big block of metal and he can't move. Just do that. That's a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, the the EM pulse thing is a nice is a nice way to to finish him off. And then eventually he locks him inside the middle of a planet, which I'm certain he'll never be able to get out of. You know, that, no, that'll no. never he's he's dead. Yeah, but um yeah, Kyle shoots that one little beam and it most of it gets deflected, but a little tiny sliver shoots past and goes down the power that uh, Trader's shooting out. And it's coming towards Trader. And then Stellara finally comes to her senses and distracts Trader, makes him open his mouth, say, ah, and that little green pill shoots down his throat. And he's like, and that's where we find out that it was a uh, he shot an EMP pulse down his throat. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that kind of brings us to page twenty-one. Yeah, yeah, where where basically uh, Stellar went. Oh, it's not all in my DNA. I don't have to follow him. You know, even though he's, you know, I don't owe him a life debt. Blah blah blah. I can give you my life so that you can survive. And, you know, it's it's a, it's a nice ending. It's a nice that she essentially sacrifices herself, especially since her entire home world has been all blown up so she really mm-hmm. has nothing to go back to but it's, it, it's a good ending like i said uh, it's nothing the, the the books are nothing you know that i'd say you have to go out and read but it's a fun read regardless do you have anything else on this um stellar goes from being uh dormammu to ghost rider yeah, her face gets kind of melted after she uh, hands off her energy to. Well, uh, plus her flames. Uh, obviously, when she her the flames around her head were tied to her life force oh, because it's like starting to dwindle and is gone. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kyle just m- makes a planet. You can make planets. Uh, I, once again, I think that's uh, sort of seeding what might be coming on with uh, the whole power of ion storyline. Because again, like I said, mm-hmm. I haven't read that, but I hear that. There are some uh, planets that do come back during that time, so interesting. Now, with the planet of Ra- Ramnos, did you ever read it real quick and say Ramos and then think John Stamos? 
<laughs> thankfully, thankfully, no. I wouldn't want to have a planet of John Stamoses. That would not be. Daniel, or maybe a planet of Rebecca Romaine Ramoses. Now that kind of planet, I could be all, all you know, and you know, maybe that's who Stelra is supposed to look like. Rebecca. Oh. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, well, maybe not. But yeah, this has been this is a fun couple of issues. I'm glad you cued me into doing this, Bill. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot of stuff from this era that I'm not really connected all that much with, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that I get to check this stuff out. It's it's always been so far it's been interesting reading all of this stuff. So thank you definitely for pointing this out to me. Oh yeah, I I'm gonna see if I can maybe. I mean, there's 41 issues to this series. Might see if I can find them. I'm sure they're in a in a in a bargain bin, I, I doubt they're top yeah. of the line. Yeah, I, it's not. From what I've read, it's a lot of uh, interesting writers. Like I said, uh, Christopher Priest was one of the writers for this book. We saw, uh, like said, Stephen Grant wrote some wrote some of these. J.M. DeMatteis. So it's some good artists or some good uh, writers, some good artists. It might be interesting read, but I don't think it's going to be anything that you know has to be. Mm-hmm. collected or is essential reading it's just fun stuff so yeah maybe this is some dollar 50 cent bin fodder yeah this is professor allen tor- territory written all over it mm-hmm. so bill thank you for coming on the show it's always great getting to talk to you and i know we're going to get to talk you know here in about a day or so with uh, one of the <laughs> other shows that when the yeah. other myriad shows that we do on Tutor freaks but while you're here why don't you go ahead and promote yourself and tell people where else they can find you on the on the internets oh well first i i, I just want to say thanks for ha- having me come on i've been listening to your show since it started i i had to play catch up for a while there because uh, i fell off i i fell off the angle wagon um, but I got back on. Uh, I spent many a day working, listening to you, just your dulcet tones whispering in my ear. Boy, that just sounds That's, creepy. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to anyway, take a shower now. Uh, <laughs> but no, and you've, you've given me an interest in this era of Green Lantern that I never really had before because my my knowledge of Green Lantern was from the Super Friends. Uh, was where you know and 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 the shows that followed after that and I did pick up uh, some of the Jeff John stuff when it was relaunched and and was following that for a while but I never really knew a lot about this era and you've really filled me in on these characters and made me want to collect it and read it and I just want to say thank you for that oh you're very welcome like I said uh, the idea wasn't with this show wasn't specifically to make people who've read the Jeff John stuff come back and do this, but just sort of just basically it's like any of these podcasts we do. Do we do it because we have a connection with it. We, we enjoy it a lot. And I just wanted to show how much I, I enjoyed this. And if there is any way that I can get people interested in it, then that's just sort of the icing on the cake. Cool. Um, well, you can find me. Uh, I'm usually on back to the bins. Um, slash Avengers Spotlight. Uh, in fact, we just put a new Avengers Spotlight up today. Uh, I'm on that with Scott Gardner and Paul Spataro. Uh, I'm also on Walking Dead Wednesday with you and Chris Honeywell, and where we cover The Walking Dead. Uh, we alternate between a comic and then one of the TV episodes, and sometimes we cover the books, which I guess sooner or later we might need to talk about that. Yeah, uh, but, uh, we're going to do that book. Yeah, we still got the the two Fall of the Governor 
the the last part of those. I, I still need to get the uh, the second half of that because they broke the book basically up into two parts. Yeah, I got the second half, but I haven't read it yet. Okay, I just haven't had time. So, and then um, I guessed on various other shows. You know, when people have me on, like like this one, and the uh, the other regular show that I'm doing now is monthly with Gene Hendricks. We're doing Anime Freaks, where we've started to look at uh, anime that. We are by no means anime experts and do not <laughs> proclaim ourselves to be ones, uh, but just anime that we've enjoyed. Uh, we started with uh, the first season of Star Blazers that we both enjoyed as as children. And we're going to do we're, we're going to go about halfway through season one and we might pick an anime movie to cover. And then we're going to jump back into the into the second half of uh, season one. Then from there, we're going to probably pick another show, but we're not going to stick with we're not going to burn through all of Star Blazers. We may jump to another show, either Battle of the Planets slash mm-hmm. Gotchman or Robotech. Uh, we're not quite sure yet what, what we're going to do. So we've got plenty. I mean, if we only do two episodes, I mean, we've got planned out for the next six months or so what what we're going to be doing. So, yeah, I've and that's been, that's pretty much it. I've really been enjoying Anime Freaks. I, I remember I remember <clears throat> back when I was a kid. Like I said, Battle of the Planets, or it was called G Force when I was watching it. They would show that sort of on late Saturday afternoons after like the Super Friends and the Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. Roadrunner show were all done on one of my local channels. And I just loved the heck out of that. And I, I actually emailed Gene how, how basically they got away with certain things in Battle of the Planets that they probably couldn't get away if they were telling the actual storyline. You know, specifically is like the, uh, sort of bird orang thing that they throw wasn't really a razor and wasn't really cutting people in half. And also the fact that the uh, main villain wasn't a uh, hermaphrodite. <laughs> that that would have been sort of an awkward thing to describe to your kid. Mommy, Daddy, what's a hermaphrodite? I'm certain that wasn't something that the uh, the American people wanted kids asking about their Japanese crazy anime cartoons so <laughs> I, I look forward when, uh, to when you got but I've, like I said I've been enjoying the Star Blazer stuff and a lot of that stuff now you can catch online on Hulu.com can't you? Yes yes we put the links uh, um, to uh, we've been putting up the links it's on Hulu and it, for free and it's also um, on YouTube um, it's uh, the ones on YouTube are minus the commercials but it's the it's from the exact same uh, it's like manga universe or manga tv you you there they could be found and the entire all three series appear to be there at least all of series one is there and for now that's what we're going to cover okay well the bill it's been just a it's always a pleasure getting to podcast with you and it was a pleasure doing this thank you for bringing these uh, two comics to my you know, to the forefront because I wouldn't have, you know, picked them out had you not mentioned them. So thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me, Sean. Thank you. It's always great. And we will be seeing all of you folks. Well, we won't be seeing you. Hopefully we'll be talking to all of you folks the next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, everyone, have a good week. See ya. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, 
while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scan the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast, you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonsacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern. The opening music for today's show was Traitor by the band Flyleaf, off their album Between the Stars. You can pick up this album or pick up any other Flyleaf album because, heck, it's an awesome rock band with a really cute female lead singer, so there's nothing wrong with that. And like I said, you can pick up any of these albums or any of these songs at Amazon.com. Of course, if you were to buy these songs from Amazon.com, I would suggest that you go through the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Anytime you go to the link at twotruefreaks.com to buy anything from Amazon, whether it be albums, MP3s, entertainment, movies, whatever, a small amount of your purchase price goes back to the website. You don't see any extra cash taken out of your account, but it really does help the Two True Freaks out. So anytime you're thinking of making a purchase of music, movies, entertainment, games, anything to finish out your Christmas list, make sure you use the link at twotruefreaks.com to go to Amazon.com. La, la, there we la. go. Okay, there we go. This is it. This, <laughs> this is it that lights. I don't remember nights. all these middle lines. It's on with the show. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. God, that's... Please don't put that in. That, one, that will not go in. <laughs> so she's like, aren't you supposed to be doing a paper? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then why are you looking at a comic book writing stuff down? Research. <laughs> it's secondary. It's supposed to be happening. I don't yeah, think it... Green Lantern has anything to do with the Irish potato famine. <laughs> um, of course it does. Green. Green potatoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a 12-pack that sat next to my bed. When I got up in the morning, I sat up, I grabbed a can, psh, and drank a can of Mountain Dew, just and then, right, out, right out, right beside your bed. No, right out of the, right out of the thing. Just drank it right there. And so, it, if if it sits in the car and it gets a little hot, it, it's like my version of coffee. Okay, I'm not saying it's good for me by well, any means. No, uh, but hot or cold, I mean, you know, well, you're. Uh, does Andy drink cold beer? <laughs>